0: We go and grab
1: a quick bite, we watch a movie then fight, we're the Fast Food Film Friends. You're listening to Fast Food Film Friends, the show directed by two people who are today near death that could probably be an hour shorter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This week we're talking about Martin Scorsese's much anticipated Killers of the Flower Moon while eating Arby's Big Game Burger. People are talking about both of these
1: nonstop all over the place. Uh, From IMDb, the plot summary of Killers of the Flower Moon's reads as follows when oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land the
0: Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery and from Arby's.com the Big Game Burger features a unique blend of venison, elk and ground beef topped with melty Swiss cheeses crispy onions sweet garlic and dill pickles and a dark cherry steak sauce served on a toasted brioche bun boy
1: that sounds good and I'm glad they've got more than one Swiss cheese on there Melty Swiss cheeses,
0: they said. Uh, what a what a world we're living in. Kevin, can I read you something? Actually, to you and the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not long ago, I texted you and told you my ETA mm-hmm. to come to your house to record. Yeah. Your response was, okay, I'm finishing up six pounds of pork, so that's perf. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did... Are you familiar with the format of this podcast?
1: Uh, I am. Yeah, it was not for me to eat all six pounds before this <laughs> podcast. It was a uh, slow cooker Sunday meal, uh, and it's uh, all in my fridge. I just had a bunch of little bits of meat, probably about a pound. Uh, but I knew, I knew, I knew the sandwich didn't have pork in it, so I'm just trying to get my daily in. Trying to cover all. Because
0: here's what is in it. Thirty four percent venison, thirty three percent elk, mm. and thirty three percent ground beef blend. What's that other one percent? <laughs> it's third no thirty-four. 33, <laughs> oh okay, 33. Okay, I thought it they leave nothing you know. to the imagination. What's it? it what's it's thirty four venison? Yes. Wow. If you recall that the Wagyu Steakhouse burger, <laughs> it was a very confusing mix mm-hmm. of actual like. They didn't really clarify how much Wagyu was in yeah. it. It was mostly just ground beef. Wow. But uh, So they're coming out with the facts. I'm surprised that there's elk in it. I feel like that's rare. I don't know if I've ever had elk. I've had venison. I just went to Montana this summer, yeah. and we were hoping to see elk. I've never seen elk. You've never seen an elk? No. That's ridiculous. Where? Are, where's an elk? Uh, the zoo? Yeah. Antler elk farms?
1: I oh. don't know. Yeah. Like reindeer farms? you never been to one of those? Is that where they like... Make like the reindeer burgers? Uh, probably where those come from, yeah, actually. Um, I See, the sound of all this meat sounds great. Is it just one patty? I believe it's one okay. giant patty. What I'm loving most about the sound of this is this: the crispy onions, sweet garlic, dill pickle, and dark cherry steak sauce. Oof. That's how you top a burger.
0: Usually, a, a fast food burger like this would have like one or two of those kind of like interesting flavors. They're yeah. really throwing everything. They really are. I like it, though. I like it. And I'm, I'm glad we're
1: talking so much about the Big Game Burger and not one of the biggest cinematic releases <laughs> in
0: our lifetimes. This is. The 11th time we've had Arby's on this show. Oh, my God. And this is episode 77, meaning that one in every seven episodes is Arby's. (laughs) They just do so much. (laughs) They do so much with all the meats. And that's the thing. When other people think of Arby's, they think roast beef. But what most people don't know is that Arby's is great at so much more. Chicken, burgers, cheesesteaks. Similarly, when most people hear the name Martin Scorsese, they think about crime movies. Yeah. Goodfellas, The Departed, Mean Streets, Casino, Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, Gangs in New York. Yes. But when you dive deeper into his work, he's also great at directing comedies and psychological thrillers and movies about spirituality and documentaries. He is just a jack of all trades. Yes. And much like Arby's bringing their biggest game yet with this burger, Scorsese teamed up with his two favorite stars, Leo and De Niro, for the longest, most expensive budget Film of Marty's career. How much was the budget for it? They say $200 Whew!
1: That ain't cheap. That's how much it costs to make one big game burger, I
0: think, (laughs) to get all that meat perfectly combined. Between this three and a half hour movie and this big old burger, we're going to have a lot to chew on. I I think so. I think so. Before we get there, you want to do some Nimble News? It's been a while. Let's jump into it. Nimble News. Nimble News is the part of the show where we review all things new as quickly as we can do. New music, series, purchases, experiences, even new food or movies that we don't have time for in our main discussion. Kevin, what have you been up to? A lot. Nathan, as you might know,
1: and as listeners might know, I'm a fan of fast food uh, for the most part. But lately I've been kind of not into it very much. I'm not going as much. I'm not craving it as much, which... Probably goes hand in hand. Uh, But when I do go, I find myself oddly ending up at not one of my normal favorite spots. But I'm going to this spot because I think I'm getting older. I'm liking vegetables more. Is it Cracker Barrel? Uh, No, I fucking hate that place. Uh, I'm finding myself at Burger King much more, Mm. uh, which is rare and weird to me but I just love the fresh veggies they have on a Whopper. Whoppers don't come with cheese, they've got all the veggies that are always just crispy, crunchy, and I love that crunch, I love the texture. But I keep going there and making all of these amazing discoveries. Uh, I recently went, just to grab a little Whopper Junior, quick snack on the way home, and I'm looking at the menu, you know, as I do. They take forever there, um, because they're flame broiled. So you get a lot of time to stare at that menu. And they have a new option. They have fries or onion rings normally. And now they have something called have Z's. H-A-V-E dash Z's. Not Z's. S-I-E-S. Which are half fries, half onion rings. How, how has it not been done? I don't know how it hasn't been done. It blows my mind. How fucking easy is it to just put a little bit of both? I mean, normally you get the errant onion ring or like this one fry in and your onion ring. it's the rings. best moment of your week. It is. And this little container is all of that all the time. Uh, it was great. It was perfect. I, I, The mess in my bag was insane. It's like they just put the, threw the fry container in there, didn't care if it landed upright, and just dumped some of both on top of my burgers. Um, that was great. But on top of that, I saw a spicy chicken wrap that they had. Mm. As a big fan of McDonald's, previously glorified snack wraps, yeah. I thought, holy shit, this could be the thing that helps me scratch that itch. Ordered it. Didn't have high hopes. Burger King usually misses on their innovation. Um, It was a crunchy, spicy chicken wrap. It was spicy. It was crisp. The veggies, again, hit. And it is, I might say, better than a snack wrap. It was so good, the spicy chicken wrap. Maybe it was the high I was on from the halfsies, the onion rings and the fries. I don't know. But it was delicious. And I would highly recommend both of those. Um, Now, additionally, a different time. And again, we haven't done this podcast for a while, so I'm not going to Burger King every day. This is uh, this is months apart, weeks apart. I got there, I look at the menu again, and I see on the menu the Italian BK Royal Crispy Chicken Sandwich. Mm-hmm. Not the original Italian chicken. This is a new uh, crispy chicken sandwich. It looked very basic. Uh, didn't think it was going to be great. Again, crunchy, delicious chicken. Just kind of, the sauce was a little dried into the bun but that's going to happen with marinara and bread that's what they're designed to do to each other Um, but the flavors were just spot on it was cheesy it was delicious Um, I just think it's like a BK revolution I think they're really trying new things and I would I would say if you haven't been to BK in a while just go check out what shit they're doing they don't even advertise I feel like I have no idea what's happening there but every time I go there's like some new weird thing they're working on for halfsies alone go get a large halfsies and just sit there and relish in the variety of whatever you're grabbing
0: Um, Fresh veggies, crispy chicken. What else could you want? To the listeners, I cannot emphasize enough that you and I don't coordinate our nimble news Mm -hmm. whatsoever. We just surprise each other with what we review and in what order. So, (laughs) allow me. Kevin, I tried Burger King's Italian Chicken Snack. (laughs) No fucking way. No fucking way. Because Italian, chicken, and sandwich are three words that I love. This sandwich features crispy chicken topped with melted mozzarella cheese and marinara sauce. Mm -hmm. It's it's like a chicken parm sandwich, but with mozzarella instead of parmesan. I love chicken parm. Yeah. I know that you do too. Mm -hmm. The key twist that Burger King put on this sandwich is that it has absolutely zero discernible flavor. Burger King is between this and the taco we ate on this show. You're gonna just they are you're
1: gonna. I've just built up so much brand confidence in Burger King, and you're gonna come and just
0: destroy it all. Between this and that taco, they are hell bent on botching every non American <laughs> cuisine. Which, if you think about it, might be a strategy to convince their customers that only American food is good. They're like, ooh, tacos are gross, right? And chicken farm sucks. You should just eat burgers and fries. They're playing 4D chess, mm-hmm. and I think they're losing. I even tried pairing this sandwich with some red wine in hopes that the meal could be salvaged, but it was beyond saving. Uh, as a podcast hosted by two men who think that they're Italian even though they're not, we have to formally condemn Burger King <laughs> and their Italian chicken sandwich. No! Please, BK, stay in your lane. Do not make sesame chicken or schnitzel. Make burgers with crispy veggies. Make food for people to order when the drive-thru line at McDonald's is too long.
1: Thank you. I mean, I'm I'm glad we at least agree on the crispy veggies. Uh, Is there any chance at all that you had a short bout of COVID when you tried (laughs) this? Uh, I thought it was
0: very flavorful. I don't
1: know.
0: You know... As we often learn on this show, we talk about all the time, anytime that you and I eat the same item, but like prepared from different places or at different times, the experience can be very different. That's very true. And when we have the same thing together at the same time, maybe we're both having, you know, a a semi-blind experience. Yeah. So maybe it truly was that mine was different Mm -hmm. than yours tasted. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to try it again. I'm going to put you through that. I'll even split it
1: with you if you want.
0: Here's what I will do. I assure you, I'm going to try that. Crispy Chicken wrap good. from Burger King because those McDonald's snack wraps were the my best. favorite thing so good. in high school. My so lunch would just be like three of those. Yes, that's perfect. You're gonna love this. So, you know, we have some common ground on <sighs> the BK revolution or lack thereof. What are the fucking odds of us doing the same, I guess? It's it's almost like
1: <laughs> It's almost we like, like we're kinda of similar. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we're a little bit the same. Wow. Nathan, I finally got around to watching two movies that I should have watched years ago, decades ago in my life, from uh, one of my favorite directors, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Um, Two movies that I think are staples in his collection, and that's Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. I had never seen these. Obviously, I'm very familiar with a lot of it because of just their cultural relevancy and how, I mean, Uma Thurman in that yellow suit and Lucy Liu fighting with samurai swords and... um, all the other kind of iconic imagery that just pops out of that movie and into pop culture all the time. Um, so I thought I kind of knew what to expect and, and didn't have the bar set that high, but Holy shit. I think these are the most Tarantino Tarantino movies ever. The violence is obviously ridiculously over the top. Like it is, it is Tarantino acknowledging that his violence is ridiculous and absurd. And like the gore is just outrageous. Um, but on top of that, the performances are great. The sets and everything are just fucking amazing. Like, the dialogue, the writing for this movie is, I think, maybe his best work, in all honesty. Like, I just fucking love it. And there's so many things that popped up and totally surprised me. I don't want to spoil anything for you, because I don't think you've seen these. This is my only Tarantino blind spot. Okay. I think it was my only Tarantino blind spot, too. And I need you to fill it. Immediately, I own these movies. I, have to I watch them. I need you to watch them. I think
0: something about it being a two-parter is yeah. just like mentally daunting. Even yes. though I, I watch like three movies in a day sometimes. Yeah. So who yeah cares? You could, you could do it. I'd recommend doing it like
1: two days in a row. You know, one each day. But there's, I mean, there's a part that comes up that I know you would love so much, and that you, I guarantee you have no idea that it's even in this movie. It like caught me so off guard, and I was just like, holy shit. Uh, I can't say what it is, obviously. Um, but you need to watch these movies right away. I, uh, we're both late I to the party on this one, but they are probably both near the top of my favorite Tarantino movies. Like I, I fucking loved them. What a, what a ride. What a fucking ride. And it's just... Mm. It's the BK Italian chicken sandwich of cinema, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I'm throwing those discs out. <laughs> Do you find that... For directors who you really like, Mm -hmm. and you make your way through their filmography, all the old blind spots. Yep. Do you find that there's a part of you that wants to like save one forever? Yes. Like once you've seen everything, Mm -hmm. there's no nothing else in your head of like, like Kill Bill is for years, fifteen years in my head. I have this idea of it being like the perfect movie. Yeah. And I've just never actually sat down to watch it because it's the the only Tarantino I I don't know it. I have I have the same thing, and I think a big part of it, like for me,
1: for Scorsese, for example, like I've never seen Raging Bull, um, and that's a movie that in my head is perfect, most likely, and I, I, it's 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 wanting to keep that to like so you always have something that you could go to, yeah. it's wanting to not be let down by it not being perfect, um, and I think I do kind of save. It's like, you know, if you have, you know, a a platter of snacks out or something like a charcuterie board, you're going to save a little bit from each pile until the end. Like, you're going to save one little piece of meat, one little piece of cheese. And that's from all these different directors. I have these little bits that like, maybe on my deathbed or something, (laughs) or like when I'm just retired and have nothing to do, I can just be like, now's the time for me to sit and just fucking watch the best cinema in the world. And just for the first time, have these revelations and just probably tears coming down my face and... Uh, I haven't normally thought that far ahead uh, about it, but I absolutely kind of stockpiled these like a little squirrel, just keeping them, keeping them in the ground. Kevin, I watched Kill Bill. Fuck Oh no, no, My God, I was about to lose my mind. I was about to lose <laughs> my mind. The amount of breath I took there to just pour words out and scream at kind you, of ballooned was a, a bit. Al-
0: I did. I truly did. I bullfrogged. Kevin, I saw the creator. Mm, A new sci-fi movie from Gareth Edwards, who has directed some really good stuff, like Mm -hmm. Rogue One, which Mm -hmm. is one of the better recent Star Wars movies. So I was pretty excited for the creator. It takes place during this future war between humans and AI. It stars John David Washington. And just the fact that this is an original story with big ideas and it was filmed in real beautiful locations around the world. It's the kind of movie I treasure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's catnip for me. Yeah. And these are the kind of movies I try to advocate for, you know? Because we just don't get that many of them. Mm-hmm. We can complain as much as we want about how Hollywood only makes sequels nowadays, or unoriginal movies. But, like, the only way that will change is if people actually pay to see original movies. So, mm-hmm. I was there opening weekend for the creator. And, boy, did I really not like this movie. I can't believe it. I can't believe that. It is so... I still I want you to see it. I don't wanna like discourage you completely, but I thought it was so uninspired, so derivative of way better films. And ultimately it feels pointless. It's (laughs) it's the kind of story that it's clearly trying to say something about our world or about humanity, but and I can't go into like themes without spoiling it, but by the end I was like, there's no way that this is the message of the movie. But if it's not, then what is the message? Yeah. And maybe part of it is that AI has become a part of our world today in ways that you can't help, but have that baggage in the back of your mind when you watch a movie yeah. that seems to have kind of like a, a dated outlook on AI. It reminded me of movies from 10, 15 years ago. like movies like I robot or Chappie. but like that was when this stuff was, way more theoretical Mm -hmm. as opposed to our real lives now like ai is here and it's affecting the world in ways that i think no one quite predicted Mm -hmm. and that's i think the biggest problem with the creator almost every idea in this movie is pulled right out of a better movie and not in the way that makes you go oh it's kind of a kind of an homage to the terminator or like oh you can feel the apocalypse now influence that's cool instead it's like okay, this scene is just the Mandalorian, but worse. Or that idea is just ripped off of Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. It's just all these carbon copy bits and pieces doesn't really amount to anything more than the sum of its parts. It didn't really have anything new to offer. It looks gorgeous. They shot this movie all over Southeast Asia, and then the, the CGI was added on top of it. And the way that it blends the real world and the digital effects... It's seamless. I love that. It reminded me of the way that, that doom kind of achieved yeah. that effect. Yeah. Everything else about this movie is completely forgettable. And the last thing I'll say, we as a society have to have a serious conversation about John David Washington's acting abilities. Mm-hmm. I think he can do humor. I liked him in black Klansman. Yeah. In Tenet, He has Robert Pattinson to bounce off of, but in this movie it is him and a kid. And He cannot deliver a serious line to save his life. And he just has so little charisma. And I'm not even trying to compare him to his dad. Denzel is one of the greatest living actors. Yeah, That's an impossibly high bar to measure up to. But John David Washington does not have the bare minimum to lead a movie on his own. Even even with nepotism on his side, I wonder how many more chances he'll get. Wow. According to IMDb, his only upcoming movie is called The Piano Lesson. And it's written and directed by a first-time director named Malcolm Washington, which is his brother. <laughs> so we'll see how that one turns out. Wow. But anyways, the creator—big letdown. Did you see Malcolm and Marie, the one he did with uh, Zendaya? Yeah, I think that was one of his better performances. Okay. Okay. I, I never liked, saw that. And that—and he really does get to be funny in that. And it's the whole movie is just a series of arguments. Yeah. And I think that again, it's the bouncing off of someone else Mm -hmm. and dry humor Yeah, that man a movie like The Creator it's just like the worst casting it just doesn't happen it's so fascinating
1: because I was so excited about this movie I was so high on this movie an original sci-fi film Yeah, the world building looked incredible and then it came out and I was like I'm going to give it you know a week see what kind of the buzz is you gotta let it cool down gotta let it cool down I don't want to be in a packed theater I fucking hate people so I gotta (laughs) let it ice for a bit and everything I heard was just eh, yeah. meh at, uh, at best. At best, yeah. and I was like, "Wow, how could it have been such a miss? Like, this should have. I thought it was going to be a huge winner. Just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't do great at the box
0: office either. I don't think. No, not as well as it should have done. There's so many movies that you and I have both said, like, it's such a pretty movie. Go see it in a theater, just because you'll be in awe. Yeah, and it is a great looking movie that just. Feels so empty that I can't mm. even I can't even say that. That's sad. That's just sad. Do you rather have a TV show or a movie? I think movie. Mm. There's been a lot of movies since our last episode. I know. I kinda have two movies. Even better.
1: Two movies I really enjoyed and wasn't sure that I was going to. First I saw in theaters the second I watched at home. The first that I saw in theaters is the new Para. <laughs> movie a haunting in venice i say new but it's been out for however long it has been out um first two of these movies murder on the Orient express death on the nile i thought were pretty uh not my favorite uh by any means so i went into this one thinking yeah you know i like a murder mystery it's supposed to be a little spooky it's spooky season let's give it a shot i know you and your wife went to see this i think Mm -hmm. maybe on my recommendation i don't know I thought this was the best one yet out of the three that exist. I really liked it. I thought he was having... Kenneth Branagh, that is, uh, was having so much more fun with the camera in this one than he normally does. A lot of very exciting, um, dynamic camera movement just throughout the whole movie that I think added to kind of the spooky feel of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the first shot... Venice alone is one of the most gorgeous cities on Earth. Um, But I thought... Every shot of this was, I just, every shot gave your eye so much to explore. Like every shot was just wide with, you know, whether it's him in his bedroom and you're looking at what's on the shelves or his dresser or, you know, on the windowsill, um, gives you just so much to explore. It's like you're in one of Agatha Christie's novels, just trying to figure out what's going on, trying to absorb every little bit of information. Um, I thought the misdirection was pretty fun and I just thought it was a great, easing into spooky season. It's, you know, a good amount of jump scares, plenty of chances for, for goosebumps. And you get a little bit of Michelle Yeoh, um, in this as well, who was great. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of nightmare alley for some reason, maybe just the, the color grading or, um, something like that. But I, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was great. Um, I know your wife did not feel the same about that one.
0: Yeah. So I liked it. I, I, and I agree, like all the like the Dutch angles and stuff. Yeah. Like it's very like Orson Wells. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool. Additionally, any movie that takes place in Italy at all just mm. gets an extra credit from me. Because it's mm-hmm. like getting to be there. Yes. It just makes you feel so warm. Oh, I love it so um, much. But I think once it really gets into the murder mystery part, mm-hmm. I've not seen the others in this series and I you know, I've heard many people say this is the best one of the three.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think once it really got into like the Who Done It. I just am reminded that like I don't really like that genre, Ugh. and so it didn't for me. It didn't really do much new. Mm. I get that it, it did kind of subvert expectations. but That's kind of I don't know. I, I kind of felt a little disconnected at a point. That's fair. And then, uh, but yeah, I I appreciate that. I think I, I think what you said about it being like a an ease into spooky season is yeah. is spot on because it it does like it is a horror movie, mm-hmm. but it's it's very light yeah it's digestible it's not gonna really scare anyone away it's it's just it's the vibes more than anything yes um that's my first one the next movie I saw that I liked
1: more for sure um I watched at home it came out I kind of had it on my radar and it was theater camp um this came out early this year um packed cast if you're into weird comedy um, of just people who are in a bunch of weird things. I mean, Ben Platt and Molly Gordon are the stars um, who are both great in this movie. Jimmy Tatro, who... Uh, yeah, American Vandal. American Vandal <laughs> is, is gold in it. I O Ayo um, Edibiri. 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 Like from, from bear. The, the Bear is in it. Amy Sedaris, Patty Harrison. Um, Alan Kim, the son from Minari, oh. um, is hilarious in it, too. This movie... Is one of the first movies I've watched at home in a long time where I didn't pick up my phone once. I don't think it is so fast and the writing so tight and the performances are so believable. Like these are people who run a theater camp who are all overly dramatic and like so catty and just always kind of poking and prodding each other. It is so fucking funny, Nathan. It's, I think, the funniest movie I may have seen this year. Um, every line has, like, two or three other meanings where, like, you almost want to pause it and be like, oh, my God, i got to think of all these little bits they're doing because they're, they're just layer after layer after layer. It's A lot of it is dumb comedy, but a lot of it is really sharply written stuff. Um, it's on Hulu, I think, right now, Theater Camp. If you have ever been in a play enjoy theater um, or just like hilarious performances uh, and really funny people. I cannot recommend streaming theater camp enough. It is an absolute blast. uh, And I don't think anybody
0: will regret it. I can't wait to check that one out. Yes. Kevin, you and all of our longtime listeners know that I am a fiend for pumpkin treats. I grew up in the pumpkin capital of the world. I've got gourds in my blood in the words of Bane you really adopted the pumpkin. I was born in it. Molded by it. I hate it. My life is a constant pursuit of the best pumpkin desserts. <laughs> pumpkin pie, donuts, bars, cookies, muffins, but above all, pumpkin ice cream. Mm. So anytime I see a pumpkin shake or sundae on a menu, it is mine. My favorite one that I've had from a fast food restaurant was from Shake Shack a year mm-hmm. or two ago. Yep. And they just so happened to source the pumpkin for those shakes from my hometown. They get it. This year. It's the only place, it's the only domestic place you can buy pumpkins from. (laughs) This year a new competitor has entered the ring. The pumpkin frosty from Wendy's. Oh shit. I mean, come on, the Frosty, the most tried and true fast food sweet treat, Mm -hmm. plus pumpkin, my favorite fall flavor. A match made in heaven, right? I can already tell just by your
1: tone how you're setting this up that it did not go according to plan.
0: Absolutely horrible. This thing blows. It tastes, like, it tastes like they took the cheapest, most artificial pumpkin-flavored creamer, mixed it into a Frosty, and that's it. Mm. And it's not like I expected pieces of pumpkin in this thing, but at least give me the slightest hint of spice yeah. or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like they melted down pumpkin candles from Bath & Body Works and just poured the wax into their Frosty <laughs> machine. It is so much worse than a normal Frosty. I cannot imagine a single person ordering one of these a second time. So Wendy's, if you're listening, shut it down. Regroup next year. Go back to the drawing board and then burn the drawing board and never try this again. Wow, Nathan. That is that is extreme.
1: Have you ever, so I'm a big fan of making my own banana ice cream, which you just take bananas, cut them up, uh, add a little cream, blend it, freeze it. It's great. You could probably do that with pumpkin and make your own pumpkin ice cream and it'd probably be great. Sure, I... Just throwing it out
0: there. Here's the thing. There are good alternatives out there. Mm-hmm. I can just go to Culver's and get a pumpkin shake, Ugh. which is divine. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Shake Shack has not brought back their pumpkin shake this mm-hmm. year. But uh, I make a, a pilgrimage once a year to my hometown <sighs> for the purpose of just eating pumpkin everything Gross. for a week. Disgusting. There's lots of good stuff out there. Just not at Wendy's. Ugh.
1: Nathan, I'm a big fan of the show The Boys. Uh, and the new spin off show has started coming out on Fridays called Gen V, or Generation V, that covers um, college students at the superhero college in the same era uh, as The Boys takes place. Have you watched The Boys? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I think two episodes. Your lack of commitment to TV just makes me so mad. Um,. I was a little hesitant on this. I'm not usually a fan of spin offs and stuff, so I thought, you know, it's probably going to be cheesy, probably going to be dumb. Um, if you've watched The Boys, you know that it starts out very hot, that show. Um, and I'm happy to announce that Gen V starts out equally as hot, very hot, uh, and keeps going from there. Super gory, outrageous plots, um, an and oddly great score, I've noticed this season. It's scored really nicely, the music's just there. Um, performances are all pretty sound, but it is just a fun ass show. Like if you like the boys, you're going to love Gen V. It's a bunch of new superheroes with ridiculous new powers, plenty more dicks and gore all over the place. Um, it is just a wild ride. And it's like, you know, I've watched, I've been watching a lot of very serious shows, kind of spooky shows. And it's just like, it's like going to an amusement park for, you know, 40 minutes. It's just, a, you never know what new ride's going to be there. It's just out of control fun. Um, it's on prime. Check out Gen V. If you like the boys, I would, I would highly recommend it.
0: Kevin, at your behest, I watched the 2006 film beer fest Ooh. starring the broken wizard comedy troupe. Mm-hmm. This movie is about a group of guys training for an underground <laughs> drinking competition that takes place in Germany. Yeah. It features all sorts of classic goofs and gags from a scientist jerking off a frog <laughs> to gam, gam, jerking off a sausage. Um, This was your homework handoff for me.
1: I think I recommended... I I, want to make it clear. I think I said Super
0: Troopers first. Kevin, you do this bullshit every time. (laughs) Okay. Where you give me two. Yeah. And then whichever one I pick, you say, it's kind
1: of your fault. (laughs) Yeah,
0: correct. Yeah. You should ask. So from now on, we're doing one. Okay. One. One pair. I watched Beer Fest. I want to ask you because I genuinely can't tell. (laughs) did you make me watch this because you think it's enjoyable or because you think it's a terrible waste of time and you thought it'd be funny (laughs) now I
1: want to see when Beer Fest came out 2006 Uh, 2006 so picture me so here's the thing picture me as a 16 year old (laughs) watching this movie Uh, I love this movie I still quote this movie all the time I haven't watched it in probably a decade give me a quote Uh, I always say, it's frustrating. Me and Bill always say, the bubble is frustrating. The little puppet. It's very quotable. Uh, I think it's funny. Obviously, there's a bunch of dumb humor. That's what these guys do for the most part. Um, I still think Super Troopers would have been a better choice, but uh, I'll give you only one homework handoff next time. I'm glad you watched it. And I think y- you'll
0: come to be more fond of it with time. Negative. There are plenty of comedies from the '90s and 2000s that would never get made today, but are still funny, mm-hmm. and you can still enjoy them for what they are. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought that this movie sucked. Fair. And it, it like not only is this a genre that's aged poorly, it's a terrible entry in that genre. <laughs> like you think about like. I'm thinking of movies like The Hangover, Old School. Like There are some that are still classics Mm -hmm. and that hold up in their humor, even if they don't in their subject matter. Sure. Okay. In the credits Mm -hmm. of Beer Fest, it says, coming soon. Pot, Pot. Fest. Yeah. So I Googled it to see, did that ever get made? No. It didn't. But a few months ago, the director mentioned in an interview that, quote, talks are happening at Warner Brothers. About finally making PopFest. Is this Jay? Yes. Okay. I for one can't wait
1: to not watch it. I was waiting for you there. Um, I'm just gonna guarantee that my next homework
0: handoff is Super Troopers.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna make you watch their whole
0: filmography. The reason I didn't watch it is because I have seen so much of it. Like it's one that when I was like 15, like Mm -hmm. it was just like on places, and like I I am familiar with that. And BeerFest was brand new to me. Mm -hmm. Fair. Fair. Somehow it's. You know, kind of gotten buried with time. It's weird. I'm not sure how that happened. Can't be sure. Now that that assignment is turned in, I have a homework handoff for you that is the polar opposite of Beer Fest. Pot Fest? <laughs> As I mentioned, I've been going on a, a Scorsese. Ooh. It's been a renaissance. Can I guess? Household. No. <sighs> I want you to, to refrain from looking things up. Because I went into this movie completely blind. And it's not that I'm worried that you're going to spoil yourself. But I, I just want, like the discovery of it all. I'm not looking if, at anything else. I, I never do. If you just like hit play and don't read the description or see who's in it or anything, yeah. I think, I hope that you'll have that same great experience. I want to I guess which movie it is from its filmography. I'll give you three guesses. The Last Waltz. No. <clears throat> all right. My assignment to you, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen this, The Age of Innocence. I have not seen that. All right. I know very little about it. Perfect. You're going to watch that,
1: mm-hmm. report back. Okay, I will, I will watch that movie. I will happily report back, and I'm probably going to have the same exact opinion you had about Beer Fest about that movie.
0: <laughs> word, word for word. What's crazy slide. is that Age of Innocence in the credits, it says, Coming soon, Age of Pot. <laughs> I thought you are going to go like, Age of, Age of Guilt. Uh, but all right, that's a good one. I like it. Kevin, what do you say we tear into these big game burgers and Martin says these killers of the flower mountains? Let's do it both. Kevin, the food is here. You're holding the bag.
1: It feels suspiciously light. Ooh. I'm feeling like we might have only gotten one. I mean, it's a big game burger. Maybe they're just talking about the game. The burger's tiny.
0: Uh, but I guess we'll find out. Maybe they forgot the 34% venison. Kevin, these are fully encased in some nondescript silver foil wrappers. Correct. Is that. Does Arby's do that? I
1: thought normally they had like Arby's on them. Yeah, but maybe did they just pick these up from like a different place? They're going to like a butcher shop that's got a bunch of elk and stuff, and just having them wrap it up there.
0: Let's unwrap these.
1: I mean, for something, I guess they had a long journey here, but for something that has as many things in it, I would expect some aromas. I'm not getting much. Maybe they're just thoroughly wrapped. Oh,
0: interesting aroma. Not what I expected. I feel like I can smell that. Steak sauce. So this burger, again, features a blend of venison, elk, and ground beef topped with melty Swiss cheeses, crispy onions, sweet garlic, and dill pickles, and a dark cherry steak sauce on a toasted brioche bun. So tell me what you think of this patty. You're kind of inspecting yours. <laughs> uh, it
1: looks very dark, which venison, very dark meat. I get it. Um, looks a little overcooked. I'm I'm really not enjoying the smells coming off this burger. Um
0: so let me ask it to you this way. If you were, if this plate was just put in front of you, here's that burger you ordered.
1: I'd think this was like a veggie burger. This to me looks like a black yeah. bean burger. It's got that type of look and textured look.
0: Which maybe they're just assuming that people don't know what any of these animals taste like, so they're just giving us a black bean burger. That could and be. And we'll say,
1: interesting. Yeah, intriguing. That's new. That's not beef. I'm thinking this is going to be a very gamey, very chewy Why sandwich. would you think gamey? I just have an inkling. I don't know. Some call me a sandwich savant.
0: Let's dig in. Is gamey what you're getting from this? Mm Mm-mm. Not really. I don't eat much game. Yeah. Very rarely do I have venison. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if what I'm tasting is just to be expected or if this is just a not very good patty. <laughs> what are you tasting? Let's start there. Well, first of all, I do think this is burnt. I, I do think it th- goes beyond just it being dark meat because if you look, the outside is a lot darker. much darker. And it's very dry. It's kind of crumbling to bits. It's a well done yeah. burger. Yeah,
1: Well, uh, not, not well done,
0: but cooked to well done. <laughs> Uh, dare I say, poorly done burger? Yeah, poorly done, well done. What's strange about this is that we've had Arby's other burgers mm-hmm. that are very good. Mm-hmm. Everything around the patty is pretty good.
1: Sauces are good. Pickles are very flavorful, maybe a little too much. Onion strings are lost because they're soggy in the bun. Um, it's just so dry. The 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 burger is so dry. It feels like an overcooked meatball falling apart in your mouth.
0: There should be so much flavor. And there's like none. I mean, even just considering all the, the toppings, mm-hmm. the garlic, the onion, mm-hmm. the cherry steak sauce. Pickles. The pickles. Uh, yeah, I expected a, an explosion of flavor That's from this. Crazy. And maybe it's that they added so much because these patties just are lacking in flavor. So hmm. they have to add to it. I don't know. Maybe a better patty would speak for itself more. I would hope. I want to like try a good...
1: Venison patty. I know like Dottie's Dumpling Dowry downtown has like bison and elk and venison burgers. I think we should go there and report back, compare.
0: This is, uh, I mean, a rare, rare miss for Arby's. It is rare. However, it's two misses in a row because mm. the last one was that rib sandwich. Sell Arby's by BK. <laughs> That's our
1: advice. Jim Kramer, Mad Money style. <laughs> <laughs> Sell. Arby's are going downhill. Have they been purchased? Have they got a new CEO? What do we know the inner workings of the company? We got to get okay. people at fast food headquarters on our payroll. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm going in for more. Now that bite, I just got to a little pocket that had maybe a little more sauce. More maybe, it's, sauce. maybe
0: it's because I'm more towards the middle of the burger. That bite had a lot more flavor. Maybe it's because. Bites on the outside have much more of that burnt burger yeah. edge. And once you get in the middle, you get more of the actual... Gamey deliciousness? Maybe.
1: The cherry steak sauce is like a nice cherry A1. You know?
0: It's it's pretty good. Not enough to save it, though. I'm taking little, like, individual bites of the ingredients, like the onion strings, the sauce. Mm-hmm. It's strange how each one of them... It's like, altogether, it's equal to less than the sum of its parts. Like, each one of them has flavor on its own, but you have it all together, and a lot of it gets lost.
1: Yeah, it's weird. Big letdown. I'm going to finish it,
0: though. I mean, it's it's not bad. It's just not good. Never will be tempted to get it again, I don't mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. No, this might be an example of what we mentioned earlier about this happens to be a poorly made one, and just so happens that they burnt the burger. Yep. But... I don't even really care to to chance it again.
1: Neither do I. It's just so dry. Like, it's
0: so dry. I mean, look at... The listeners, look at this. Um, (laughs) This burger. I mean, I'm, like, poking it hard. Yeah. And that is just, like... Let me try knocking on it. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough.
1: Is Arby's on probation? Yeah, I don't think we should do Arby's again. (laughs) Until they really give us a reason to. Which they probably will in... Two to three days. <laughs> I
0: gonna... think that once they hit, they knew that they were the only ten timers on the Fast Food Film Friends, and they got cocky. They did. I said, we can just crank out whatever shit we want, and they're going to love it. But today we say nay. You finished your big game burger. I did not. For the last half of my burger, I kind of carved out like a crescent. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't eat any of that. <coughs> the edge outer of the shell. Wow. A master of their craft,
1: just not really coming through.
0: (laughs) Unrelated. (laughs) So, Killers of the Flower Moon is based on a novel, a David Grand novel. Mm -hmm. I have not read the novel. I'm assuming you've not either. Rude assumption, but you're correct. (laughs) So, we will not be comparing it to the novel. Yeah. Um, But my question to you, to start this conversation, is... What do you think this film brought to this story that a book cannot or do you wish you just read the book instead wow that is a great question
1: um i think my answer to that question for almost every film adaptation of a book is i'm a big movie guy it's probably I'd, i wish i would have just read the book or read the book and then got this it's like a fun version of it but i think i've it's very rare I like a movie better than I like a book that I've read and feel that it did the book justice. Um, having not read this one, I don't know, but um, I know some of our friends have read the book and said it, it was just brutal and, and graphic and heartbreaking and shocking at times, and it feels like this movie, even though it's three and a half hours, um, couldn't cover everything that the book had to cover. Um, so I don't know. It's... Uh, <clears throat> I guess I'd say book, probably read the book. I it's not that I didn't like the movie. It's not that it's not a great movie. It just seems like it almost a kind of an incomplete story. There's so many characters in this movie. There's so many subplots and plot lines and there's so many other avenues you kind of want to go down and explore and like follow other characters for longer amounts of time um than this movie allows and even with that insanely long runtime um and and the fact that they do cover a lot of ground, there's just a lot that's left unturned in this movie i think
0: i remember you had a similar complaint about scorsese's last movie the irishman Mm -hmm. about how that's a three and a half hour movie that felt like very brief in what it covered and there's people in that movie who you felt like there could have been a whole episode of a series Mm -hmm. but that person gets like five minutes of screen time in the movie yes so what i know about this the way this film was adapted was that at first it was going to be a much more faithful adaptation of the book, which is really a crime procedural. Yeah. It's from the perspective of the detective. Mm-hmm. And then, we, we can go into this in spoilers, but there's things that they really changed in yeah. the, the structure. And really, they, they found a new heart of the story. I heard Leo played a big part in that happening. Yeah. I heard after
1: he read the script, he told Scorsese that they should do that.
0: And his role actually changed. He was going to play the detective. Oh. And then he changed to playing who he now is. Which, Interesting. And I, do you remember a couple of years ago when that was announced, there was a casting change and people were like, Oh, Jesse Clemens is now the main character. Yeah. But in reality it was that that character was no longer the main character. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse Clemens is kind of like the fourth or fifth yeah. lead in this movie. Yeah. I mean, how do you even keep count? What I really liked about this movie and that I don't think is as easily communicated in a book mm-hmm. is I think the three lead performances are phenomenal. I fully and agree. What makes them so compelling is that they are each in their own way. Well, two of them are conflicted. And you see the ways in which they like feel one way, mm-hmm. but act another way. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of inner turmoil that you can only really communicate on someone's face without spelling out, like, this person feels this way yes. about this. This is Leo and Lily. Yes, yeah. I that think that. that they are both... <clears throat> In different ways, and we should go to spoilers soon because it's kind of hard to talk about this without talking about characters' intentions. Yeah, but what I think is incredible is De Niro's performance and the way that he does not experience conflict, and instead he convinces himself. He, (laughs) I'm trying to like dance around (laughs) what I'm trying to say, but basically, you can tell that this is a guy who has has deluded himself to believe horrible things. Yeah. And that's the kind of like you you see on his face and the way that he like reassures people of Mm -hmm. things. This is a guy who will just stop at nothing to get what he wants. But also he doesn't, he thinks it's right.
1: It's his aim. His goal is correct. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to get that without any regrets or shame or it's unabashed, just confidence in what he's doing and what his end game is. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah I think that contrast between Lily and Leo and him is very portrayed incredibly well on screen because when they're whenever they're interacting you know Leo and Lily you can just see the hesitation the nervousness the little twitches or Leo especially is literally squirming uh, for a good number of scenes with with uh, I'm gonna call him Bobby uh, <coughs> Bobby de Niro um, Lily I think is a much more reserved performance in a lot of scenes but her face. Is like it's it's like you know those faces on uh, if you ever go to Chicago there's those like fountains that have big faces on them
0: it's just like yeah, yes yeah. a
1: ten foot tall face and it's not really doing much but you're like God why am I feeling like emotions really drawn to, that? to it yeah. you're drawn to it I just want to stare at her uh, I just really could do it because her face gives so much emotion with so little movement and so little it's just so nuanced. It's just maybe like a Mm -hmm. tiny tug at the side of her mouth or like a maybe an eyebrow shift or an eye squint, but like it is such a reserved performance, but it's done so well that you still get all of the emotion. And I'm going to watch everything she's been in. Uh, And I know she's even did a, like a a film production special with PBS where she talks about what film is and how to do it. And I really want to watch that too. Um, But yeah, what a, what a drastic difference in the characters. uh, Those three main leads it's, it's, very fun to watch unfold on screen. Well, maybe not fun. Very. Uh...
0: It's just extremely well-performed, yes. well-staged, well-captured. Oh. It's. I mean, it's. I agree. Willie Gladstone's performance is just, like, beautifully subtle. Mm-hmm. But, and De Niro and Leo, it's, like, some of the greatest actors who I think are doing some of their best work. Like, yeah. De Niro, it has been a long time since I watched De Niro in something and thought, like, He's actually doing something new and great. You didn't see bad grandpa. (laughs) can't say that I did, (laughs) but he really has like in so many ways fallen into that. He either plays just like the same old, like an Irishman. Yeah. Like he's not doing anything new. He's very comfortable in that. Mm -hmm. Or he's doing humor where he's kind of like subverting, which started back with like meet the parents parents, that he's kind of like a self-awareness knowing about his persona. Mm -hmm. But I really thought maybe it's, I mean, I think he just has a great accent in this movie. Killer like accent. He's really, you can feel, I mean, he, he just looks
1: so perfect for the role. Like, as a he evil, does. oil-driven guy, like, the outfits they have him in, the cars he's riding in, his little glasses. His goggles. Oh, the driving, driving goggles, goggles. <laughs> are a fan, when he first pulled up in those. And he's telling Leo to, like, be serious and get it together with those on. Um, he just fits this role so well. He's got that there's just that like hint of evil that you can kind of sense underneath the surface. It never like fully comes out because he's so good at pretending to not be evil through to the end. Like he's still delusional enough to not even think he's evil. I think Um, you just believe him. I mean, he's, he's uh, delivering lines in like the native language, which is very good. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, There were a couple, and this might be something for later. There were a couple moments in this movie, like three to four moments where they use ADR um like yes. and it was so obvious and really fucking took me so out explain what that is to what uh up. so adr is uh automated dialogue uh replacement. Auto- replacement so essentially you're in a rush you gotta get the scene done you film it you're happy with the take maybe but then you go back and watch it and you're like audio was wrong pronunciation of that was wrong um so then you have them record in the studio you dub it over, you might try to CGI the lips or something like that. But I feel like there was honestly three moments that were like really poorly edited and really poorly put in, like that recording from the studio after it's shot. One with Leo, I think one with De Niro, maybe two with De Niro.
0: And it's not, it's even beyond like a bad line take. It's like changing the dialogue. There's yes. a few lines where you can tell it was a different line not and maybe not changed it. Not matching the lips for the most yeah. part.
1: It, it was like, Wow. Like you, you don't expect to see that with somebody like Marty,
0: and like his world-renowned editor he's worked with for decades. Like, it feels like the way that Marty talks about this movie is like it's a it's inspired by the classics that he grew up watching in the fifties and sixties. And it feels to me like after the Irishman, which was like cutting-edge technology, it's just like him going back to basics and not wanting to do anything high-tech, Maybe. and instead he's just like. This is how movies were made back then. Because they used to do things like that that were very sloppy. Yep. And now he... I can't imagine that he doesn't notice or care. I'm sure that he sees that and, like, understands. It's a little jarring. It's
1: tense maybe three seconds in a a three-and-a-half-hour-long movie. So he's like, fuck it. Who cares? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I was just shocked by how bad a couple of them were. Like, really went, like, looking around, like, expecting the whole theater to be like, whoa. But people don't do that. Um... Yeah, that took me out. But yeah, performances are great. I think this, some of the side characters and not the main leads have some of the even maybe better performances in this movie. Um, I I really liked uh, the guy who played Henry Rohn, the, the melancholy guy. Yeah. I thought he was great. William Bilal, I think is his name. I thought Scott Shepard as Byron, uh, Leo's brother, was a fucking grade-A dirtbag um, who was great. Tommy Schultz as Blackie Thompson, um, the guy who kind of – he was great ty mitchell was john ramsey who was just built to be in a western i'm pretty sure he's the guy with like the big mustache and kind of the blue eye oh right just like i I assume he's covered in grime most of the time he looks plucked out of an actual like 1920s 100 percent you know you got uh tatanka means is john wren who's like the the uh native american um Kind of agent who comes in at the end. Yeah. Who just looks so fucking cool. He looks like, great. He looks so cool and his performance was great. I thought all of uh, Lily's sisters were solid. The mom was great. And like every performance is very solid. And then you get a bunch of like super fun cameos too from people. Like you get Clemens, you get Brendan Fraser, John Lithgow. Um, you get a bunch of musicians who come in. Yeah. Jason like, Isbell. Jason Isbell, Jack White. And Sturgill Simpson, Sturgill Simpson, and my uh, and Pete Yorn, who's AC Kirby, the demo guy. I was like, oh, uh, has he always? I know he's big into music. I know Marty's big into music because he does like those music documentaries and stuff. But I was like, kept being like, wow, that's kind of weird to have that many musicians just like in well, other than Jack White, fairly decent roles, like mm-hmm. sizable roles. I thought that was unusual.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great cast of characters, and before we go into spoilers, I think. What I love about so many of Scorsese's movies is that he he's trying to unravel how a person becomes corrupted Mm -hmm. and it's handled with such nuance, like trying to understand why someone does terrible things is not the same thing as empathizing with them or excusing their behavior. But it's still worth examining how greed and power Can lead someone down a a path of destruction like we can both hold a person accountable for their actions and also have a better understanding of how this system that we're all in across the world but especially in america Mm -hmm. incentivizes the pursuit of money and dominance at all costs and i think this is a great single story Mm -hmm. that paints a picture of the nuance of colonialism like colonialism is not just taking land and resources by force mm-hmm. it's often by building relationships with people mm-hmm. before or while taking what's theirs yeah and it's not only done at the hands of like super villains but often by people who have convinced themselves that what they're doing is right
1: yeah
0: yeah we got to get into spoilers to
1: fully unpack that yeah <clears throat>
0: um and there is kind of like one I really like this movie. I think there's one kind of overarching issue that we'll talk about in spoilers. Hmm. Before we get there, I mean, do you have anything left to, what would you recommend to people? Because I'm sure many are thinking, this is a commitment. Yeah. Is it worth it? What would you tell them? It's
1: a gorgeous movie.
0: Um, I always
1: like to see gorgeous movies on the biggest screen possible. I mean, some shots, even like two minutes in, there's some shots of you know that oil springing up from the ground and people running through it that you just are like, wow, this is art in its purest form. And for those reasons, I would say go see it. It's a three and a half hour long movie. A lot of people aren't able to swing that. Um, So I think you're fine to wait to see it at home as well. I mean, this is much more about substance, I think, than beautiful cinematography. The cinematography is there and it is gorgeous. But like this this is much more about what's happening, I think, and and what these characters are doing. Um, I liked it. I think I it didn't meet all my expectations. Um, I don't think it's his best movie, like a lot of people have said. Um, but it's, I mean, it's sound, it's solid, it's good. I mean, it's just very long. I think it could have been a decent amount shorter. Um, even though I want more of a lot of things, like with what he's covering and what he's telling, I don't think it needed to be this long. Um, I mean, I know there was. A, I think we had a, a time marked off from our Run P app of when to go to the bathroom. And it was an hour and 27 minutes in. And I remember thinking, how the fuck is it not an hour 27 minutes left? Like, there's still over two hours left of this movie. And then that finally hit, and I was like, wow. Like, I, I noticed it was long. Like, yeah. I noticed it was taking a long time. Um, and usually, if it's a long movie that I'm enjoying, I don't think about that. But I was like, what is going like when is that line? Going to, did I miss that line? Like, there's no way it's not an hour. And I guess maybe props to him for packing a lot into an hour and a half in the start there. But um, it's good. Go see it if you want to, or wait. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty. I'm pretty like. It'll be on Apple TV Plus soon. Yep. They've not announced a date. I'm sure it'll be within the next couple. Months. I did not know it was an Apple original film until that came up in the theater. So that was part of the uh, the shift during production. It was going to be a Paramount. Film. And essentially, the budget just got too big Mm. when they kind of changed changed the focus of the story. Yeah. And Apple was apparently the only company willing to, because I mean, Apple, they don't care. No, they got money. They make a a billion dollars a day.
1: I will say the number of like production company logos that come up at the start (laughs) of this movie was alarming. (laughs) There were so many uh, like Paramount's first, and then I think Apple, and then there's like four more, five more
0: after that. And I was like, good God. A lot of people helping out on this one, but the upcoming Napoleon mm-hmm. also an Apple TV Plus film, really? which will be in theaters for a while. Huh. So they're really going all in. They're, like,
2: yeah,
0: two of the biggest movies of the season. <sighs> I can't wait for that movie. I cannot wait for Napoleon. That episode will be coming as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, before we get into spoilers, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Are you a fan of food and film? I don't know why else you'd be listening to this godforsaken podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the latest cooking accessory for cinema lovers, Martin Scorsese's Cartons for Sesame. These seasoning containers are perfect for storing those extra seeds in a cute little paper box shaped like Marty himself. And he talks. Every time you tip his head over to dispense some sesame, you'll hear one of his famous catchphrases like, That's cinema, baby! Or... The Marvel Universe is good and I like it. Classic Marty. Martin Scorsese's Cartons for Sesame. Available exclusively at one Trader Joe's location in Lower Manhattan. And we're back. It's time for Spoiler Snacks, the part of the show where we talk full spoilers and eat a snack. Mm -hmm. Kevin, there is exactly one item on Arby's dessert menu that we've not eaten (laughs) on this show before. Yep, sitting right in front of us. It is... A Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Cookie. Mm. So Uh, imagine a chocolate chip cookie. Picture this. (laughs) Instead of chocolate chips, if you can imagine, uh, you got some Reese's. And that's the
1: cookie. Yeah. What an exciting spoiler snack. This is the killers of the flower moon of spoiler snacks. How so? It's just going to be good. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about it. It's not... I don't think it's... uh, It's an
0: unexpected partnership between, you know, uh, a tried and true master and a brand mm -hmm. that you might not expect. Yeah. Apple or Reese's. Yep. Um, All put. Are you... We're just going to break this in half? Yeah, I guess. I don't even want it. (laughs) Oh.
1: Oh, no. So you broke that. It like a hard break. I expected it to be much softer. Um, That was very hard. It's also very crummy. (laughs) Kevin took
0: one-eighth of this (laughs) cookie and then gave me the rest. That's how it normally goes, Nathan. Cheers. It's
1: just like the burger. It's too fucking dry.
0: Very dry cookie. You think they, like, placed our bag next to a dehumidifier? I don't know. I took a bite out of the middle of the cookie and it's very hard.
1: No, There is... uh, Numbers on this package that to me would reflect a date, <laughs> um, but I'm not sure. It doesn't say like Best Buy or expired, but it does say 072123. Oh, good. So maybe it's just super fucking expired. That might be the runtime. Could <laughs> could be. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's not very good. Tastes tastes like an old
0: cookie. Sure does. Um. I mean, am I going to not eat it? (laughs) Poison's already in the system. (laughs) Let's do one more bite. (laughs) I mean, the edges, it is like grumbling. Yeah. But, oh
1: my god. Arby's just really fucking... Don't get... Nathan just dumping crumbs (laughs) all over my table. Going for the back of the cookie
0: for some godforsaken reason. If we had recorded this back in July like I wanted to, this would be a great cookie. <laughs> I did <laughs> Nathan,
2: Nathan...
1: <laughs> Nathan just had the cookie fully inside his mouth. And then a thought just popped into his head and his teeth were millimeters away from it. And he pulled it out to start that sentence. I've never seen such restraint. Because look at this chocolate. It
0: looks soft. Yeah. How do they achieve that?
1: I don't that know. That looks
0: soft. When I isn't. went
1: to break it, I was like, this is going to be a nice soft cookie. And a lot of that was based on the giant chocolate on top. But no.
0: Some sorcery going on. Not good sorcery. So this movie, the script started being developed in 2018 and 2019 it followed the book pretty closely. The book is told from the perspective of the FBI agents investigating these crimes. As we said, Leo was cast to play the lead detective. After two years of script development, Leo and Marty had a conversation about what the heart of the story was, and they reworked it entirely. The original script was much more of a procedural drama. I'm guessing it would have been a lot more of like the courtroom yeah, and just following leads. Asking questions, interviews, Jesse Plemons... Well, Leo at the time,
1: I suppose. Right. Chasing leads. The new
0: script became much more of a story about a family and a community. Mm -hmm. Um, Leo changed roles. Jesse Plemons, he doesn't even show up until like two hours into the movie. Yeah. I didn't know any of this context going into it. Correct. But it makes a lot of sense now because what I couldn't stop thinking was this movie feels like it's trying to do two different things. It is both a procedural true crime drama that kind of takes us through the steps of this conspiracy. And, you know, it's very like <clears throat> point A to point B to point C, here's how this all played out. It really, it seems to touch on, if not everything, then a lot. Like, it, it could have abbreviated that, but it really goes through, like, every murder. Yeah. The investigation of that murder, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. How it affected the families. And it's over and over and over and over again. It is that kind of movie, but it's also kind of a a memorial for these people whose lives were torn apart by colonists, like Mm -hmm. the Osage Nation as a whole and this family of sisters in particular. And to me, you can feel, and it makes sense because this is—it's a very sensitive subject. Like you, you don't want to come up short Mm -hmm. on any of this, right? You want to give. These people, they're due. But also you want to, like, we need to understand how these murders played out. Like, it's yeah. it's real. And I think it ultimately, as a whole, it kind of lands somewhere in the middle of a procedural and a personal family story yeah. about, like, people whose lives are ruined. I just think it's a lot to try to balance those tones. Because when it's about the investigations, this movie feels very cold. Yeah, Like, it's just... Murder to murder to murder to murder. But in other moments, when we get like glimpses of the Osage traditions, mm-hmm. like it almost feels like little detours where mm-hmm. you get like the funerals and the wedding and the baby naming and like our opening scene when they're, you know, they're burying, like they're metaphorically like burying their culture. Yeah. They're kind of mourning for the loss of their way of life. Mm-hmm. And I, every minute that we spend with them and seeing their lifestyle is beautiful. Yes. And It feels to me like that's a whole other movie that they kind of wanted to make, Mm -hmm. but it's interspersed with a murder mystery.
1: I, I almost think that might be somewhat intentional, though. Like, I feel like that is so perfectly reflective of our main character's personality and his kind of life, because he does, you know, he's first off, he's he's dumb as shit. Um, but he's got those really tender loving moments at times um and then you know goes and does these horrible cold-blooded things um, that you couldn't imagine somebody could do both of those like him existing and doing the all the things he does is basically what you just described personified you know um yeah. and so i could see marty being that they kind of focus to that family wanting to still have that cold procedural part because it is just a brutal brutal story and to to not you know highlight that stuff or not show how terrible these events were and how many people died and and you know how it was done and who motivated it um wouldn't tell the full story either so you i think you kind of have to have both sides and i think maybe it could have been done better or maybe the balance could have been shifted a little bit more towards the family and stuff and just quicker flashes to the crimes and everything um but I did, that didn't bother me that much. That didn't bother me that much. Because it's such a long movie, I think you get enough...
0: <sighs> it's almost like, if you think of these in two halves, it's almost like a movie's worth yeah. of each one, mm-hmm. of the mystery and also of the family, cultural... Yes.
1: So I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying. I do kind of agree in a sense, but
0: it didn't. that didn't take me out of it that much. Um, and maybe this will work better for me on a second viewing, because I think part of what's going on in my mind is like, I don't know where this is heading. Yeah. And I'm kind of trying to feel out like, what is this movie really about? Where is it going? Yeah. And I mean, the last five minutes I think is, Oh, had me tears. The best ending I can remember ever.
1: I, I mean, I, I fucking loved that ending. So the ending is a, is a changes to like a radio telling of this story back in the day on stage in front of a full audience with the people doing the sound effects they used to do for radio. I fucking love old radio. I love radio. I worked at a radio station in college. I loved radio. I still do. And the things they used to do for those radio shows, like the Orson Welles shows and things like that, the sound effects, just the whole fucking vibe, how coordinated they have to be blows my mind. But then you get the sentimentality and, and and Marty coming on stage to read what happened and, and the outcome of, of this family and, how fucking terrible this is. Like I was a mess. I was loving the radio stuff. And then that happened. And I like just could not contain the tears. And after that, you just sit and you digest the three and a half hours that has just happened to you. And you just cry more and sit more and just think like, God, humans are fucking monsters. Like, greed is the worst humans are full of it and just how you think of the injustice for so many people and how many stories aren't told like this story you know before that book and and i'm sure this movie might reach more people because people are reading less but um it's just like you you think of all the (laughs) it's it's savvy you just start to think of all the injustice in the world and you're just like god we're fucked like you just kind of leave the theater like we're fucked
0: Humans are nightmares. We're just pure fucking nightmares. But that ending kind of leaves you with... I mean, it's the greatest testament to storytelling. Yes. Is that literally just by telling stories, Mm -hmm. we can make the world a better place, a more just place, Mm -hmm. just by understanding each other. I mean, most people who come into this movie or this book don't know. I don't know any of this about the Osage Nation. And it's through this very careful attention to detail and this very thoughtful family story that we're able to like understand these people. Yeah. And that goes for it's like what I was trying to get out earlier about like the, I guess, determination in Robert De Niro's character mm-hmm. is that it is a, a wonderful illustration of how religion <sighs> can be used to justify atrocities, yep. not just like, my religion states that I should do this, but it's the way that he, when anyone dies, yeah. he is so quick to assure that they're with the Lord they're now, with the Lord. They're and he's a better place. At first, you think maybe he's like, is he just like that evil of a person that he is to their face? Mm-hmm. even though he orchestrated this killing, mm-hmm. and he can now tell them, like, "It's okay, they're with the Lord now." But it's not just that. It's that he actually believes deep yes. down. It's okay. Mm-hmm. They're with the Lord now. Yeah. Death, Whoever, is not,
1: death is not the end and not a bad thing yes. for these people.
0: And if, if you go through life believing that, mm-hmm. you can justify. That's not to say that everyone who's religious is justifying murder, but it certainly is a way that people have justified horrible oh. things throughout history. It's just really? by saying, saying it doesn't, like It's destiny. Yeah. It's yeah. De- and he says over and over, their time has come and gone. Mm-hmm. It is our time now. We're doing the inevitable yeah right manifest destiny yep this is this is our land this is our oil yeah and we are just better at this we gotta make sure we get it and whoever dies they're with the lord now yeah it's just sickening (laughs) it is but it's but it's it's played so i think it's played so well because it's it's so important to understand the ways that like greed and a thirst for power can push people to do this because we like we need to be thinking of this all yeah. the time. Yeah, like it's it's not just like cartoon villains who are doing terrible things. It's people no. who have justified their actions. Yeah, they're trying to be on top, mm-hmm. and they do terrible things,
1: horrible shit. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I think he it, it's such a great villain character with just yeah. so much
1: depth. Really, truly is. I mean, it's yeah. I think he is going to be a, a front runner for. Uh, would you Would you put him as
0: lead actor De Niro yeah he's supporting I would think you think supporting yeah I suppose when Marty comes on at the end because there's you know I've been watching so many of his movies and he has cameos in most of them but it's almost always as some sort of cameraman or Mm -hmm. director he's just Mm -hmm. kind of in charge often it's wordless yeah halfway through this movie there's a, a moment with some cameramen taking portraits and i'm expecting oh this is the part where he's going to show up yeah. and he doesn't and I, and I thought to myself i'm like oh maybe he's like feels like he's past that mm-hmm. like he doesn't need to do that kind of thing and then at the end it's it's good. perfect yeah it is a a perfect storyteller's ending mm-hmm. it makes it makes me think of the way he
1: and this i doubt it's true but like when it, when that happened i was like god i could just see him being such a good radio show director too like to tell a story that way. And I think like, do you, I wonder if, you know, cause he grew up with those, you know, radio shows that were like, that's what people used to gather around and listen to, you know, Orson mm-hmm. Welles, uh, the alien attack, whatever it was, but all those shows, like, I wonder if when he was growing up, like that's what he was thinking about telling stories to like, that's how he, you know, kind of draws out his sketches or scripts and stuff like that. Like I, I, I was, it made me very curious about like how, what kind of role radio played in his life. Um, and how that still goes into like his storytelling and maybe storyboarding and stuff like that. But it's just yeah, it's a gut punch and just I think it gives it so much more gravity to have him come on and, and say those words himself, as opposed to having a you know, a disembodied voice or one of the main characters come over and do like a narration or just words on the screen. Mm-hmm. Having him read that and seeing the emotion on him is really a powerful ending to a movie.
0: And all of the the sound effects, like God. It's like, it's fun and it, it feels kind of silly almost yeah. to like cap the movie off with this, but. It's, it's mesmerizing. It is. And it's also him saying, this is all just pretend. Mm-hmm. We're all just, it's artifice mm-hmm. to make you believe in something for three and a half hours. Yep. Whether that is like jingling some, you know, some glasses, scratching a pen on paper. <laughs> but like these actors, these sets, these costumes, we are pretending. Mm -hmm. In order to, like, tell truths about our
1: lives. Yeah. To bring light to stuff that has not had light shine on it yet. Just an absolute top-tier ending to a movie. It's rare that an ending of a movie is my favorite part. And I think that probably is.
0: He, I have found a couple of his movies that I've watched lately. Like, he has a couple. Like, have you ever seen The Last Temptation of Christ? No. That is one that along the way I was thinking... All right, I'm kind of not feeling this, mm-hmm. but then like the very ending really pulls it together really? in a way that was powerful. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it's it's really rare that a storyteller can like tie something up so perfectly. Yeah, and it's if you had asked a thousand people to guess what the last five minutes oh of the movie God. would be, you could never guess it. No, and then the very very last shot of the drum circle, oh, gorgeous. It's I, I love that the first scene is essentially mourning the loss of culture. Yeah. Like they to them their way of life was dead yeah. and their children wouldn't know it. Correct. There's cultures that have died and literally don't live on today because mm-hmm. their traditions were not passed on. Yeah. And that makes the ending all the more beautiful as seeing that drum circle like it's still moving on. This movie telling the story is literally keeping this alive. Yeah. And it makes it immortal.
1: Yeah. It it's does. Amazing. It is truly amazing. It's a very powerful ending that will make you feel a lot of things um, in, a, in a big way and very quickly. Not that you haven't been feeling things for three and a half hours before that, but man, it really brings it all together and puts it on a plate
0: right in front of you and then slams your head into the plate. So we skipped about three hours. Yeah, um, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's way too much story to like go through it all. Is, yeah. is there any particular things that you want to talk about?
1: I don't know I think it's I think it's and I've been reading more and more on like the story and everything and and I think it's very like this movie has a lot of characters who help facilitate like these terrible deeds and stuff but it's it's assumed that there's instead of like this eight or nine people maybe who we get in this movie that there were like literally hundreds of people involved in this and it's mm-hmm. um I don't know all the people involved in this are like, god damn they're just merciless like yep I'll kill them like literally, all Leo does most of the time is walk. and like, we needed to kill this person, uh, like now. Could you do that? it's like, sure, yeah. And then it's it's like, so you think about how many other people had to have been involved in like coordinating that, and it just it just blows my mind. I don't have like, again, I think the performances across the board are great, and including all these side characters who do these terrible things um, or are involved with De Niro or Leo somehow um, are standouts across the board, but. I don't know uh, Jason Isbell Bill Smith his character just drove me fucking insane Um, so props to him for being a great creep I think that interaction between him and Leo uh, in his house was uh, one of my favorite scenes at the funeral yeah Yeah. Um, no
0: when he tells him to leave I think that's during a funeral Uh, no not when when he tells him to
1: leave when they're sitting and Leo's like I just don't like you yeah, and they have that that back and forth. They're at Bill Smith's house because um, you know you can tell Bill Smith is just like, "What are you going to do? Fucking kill me too?" And shockingly, yes. Um, it's a, and
0: it's a pretty—I mean, it's, it's one of the more gruesome moments. Yes, is his last line. Yeah, just shoot me.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, I think the the court kind of procedural stuff I, I did enjoy. I mean, the I think the scene where Leo gets brought back to his uncle's house with Brendan Fraser and all the rich oil barons and things like that, that kind of begins to highlight how many people were involved in this sick shit and how people at the highest levels of society were the ones kind of helping to coordinate it. Um, I thought that was really powerful. And just how, how easily manipulated somebody who might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, like with just enough people and enough pressure you can absolutely make them change their stances and their principles overnight literally I thought I thought that was a really powerful way to do that just a very powerful scene um, short but I think it, it was solid but yeah I don't know other than that it's 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 a very I don't want to say
0: repetitive um, I mean it is like structurally yeah it kind of goes through the same beats like four or five times mm-hmm. and it's it's spread out because it's over three and a half hours yeah but but yeah I mean I I think that's That's what gave me that feeling, just the, like, tonal issues, but also I don't know how else it could be done. Yeah,
1: neither do I.
0: I think if if any aspect of this film was cut out, somebody would rightfully be... Upset. Yeah, would be criticizing it. And there's actually, I don't know if you've seen this, on the red carpet, after the premiere, a couple of the Osage consultants Mm -hmm. who worked on the movie and are being interviewed on the red carpet, essentially said, after seeing the final product... Mm They were disappointed. Yeah, they felt that it was not balanced in a way that they thought it would be, mm-hmm. and maybe that is just like so much focus on Leo and De Niro's characters, yeah. and kind of like they're the ones. And, and Lily Gladstone, like she's great, but like she spends half of this movie bedridden, you yep. know. And and yep. they're off. They get so much screen time. It's really about understanding them completely. Mm-hmm. While most everyone else in this movie is more. Kind of one-dimensional characters, you yeah. know, a lot of side characters that have one purpose. Yeah, and there's her family; they're mm-hmm. just they're dying one by one. Yeah. and you, I feel like you don't really get. It was not as full a picture painted of there's each no, of them. You know, no. they're more they're just victims yep. above all else. Yep, I think but, other
1: than other than um, Anna, who gets a little more. Yeah, involved but, with her, but yeah, but
0: again, like to add more to this movie, what do you cut out? It, it's it's kind of an impossible. It is, and I I know. Marty likes to
1: show the everyday mundane things a lot too. Of you know, there's a scene where um, Lily and Leo sit and listen to a storm, and like, yeah, he it's loves good. he loves those moments that are that are very real. And I think it does add a lot to stories. You know, just those kind of raw, slow moments that people don't make movies about, but they happen in real life and they happen in his movies. And I think mm-hmm. that tends to lead to his films being long. So, uh, yeah, uh, do you cut little things like that out? I don't know. You know, how how much does that add to character development? How much does it add to plot or believability? Um, I don't know. I I know I said it was too long. I know I said I wanted more as well from other characters and things, and I want to know more. Um, But, yeah, you think of what to cut, and it's tough. It's tough to come up with anything.
0: It just brings us back to the original question, which is like, is this better suited for a book yeah. and a book only? If you're going to adapt this into a film, they obviously took a lot of creative liberties. Mm-hmm. Should they have taken even more? Should yeah. they have like focused even more narrowly mm-hmm. on certain aspects of it? Cause yeah, similar with the Irish rain, I, I, I wonder if he watches the finished product and this is what he wanted from the outset, or yeah. if this is kind of like a result of compromise. You
1: know? I would imagine it has to be compromise in, in some respect, but I guess everything is, but I'm very curious. Are you going to read the book?
0: Maybe. I've actually... I have enjoyed David Graham's most recent book, The Wager, I read a few months ago. And that's actually Scorsese's next movie. That's why I've heard that. I was just like, why do I know the title The Wager? And Leo Leo's is going to it. play a... If he's the main character, I think he's going to play the like a ship captain that essentially loses his mind. So if, oh. I, if, here's what I think. If... They go and shoot this in the ocean, yeah. and they really commit to it. Like I, I can see it being kind of like a Revenant style, like pushing these people to the edge yeah. of their humanity. Yeah. But if it's like in real locations and gritty, I think it's going to make for an incredible movie. Yeah. I worry that Soundstage. Scorsese maybe is going to. He likes to use even before like CGI. He, he used matte paintings yeah. for backgrounds, and he does some of that digitally now. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if how much of it will be artificial yeah so i don't know curious to see how it goes but i'm excited for it this is kind of an aside but um did you ever
1: watch that documentary on that matt background painter like the most prolific one yeah i did it was really i fucking loved that i like i could watch that all day
0: let's let's find that so that people can look it up (laughs)
1: because the the art i can't remember what it's called but the art uh, back in the day you know you couldn't shoot on location in rome or you couldn't shoot with these great landscapes or you wanted something that didn't exist in real life. You didn't have CGI. And there was this one guy who just had the ability to get the perspective right, to get the framing right, to be able to paint, hand paint these massive, not even massive. Sometimes they were tiny and just put in the right place. But these things, these paintings that would sit, you'd shoot real people, you know, in the scene and and behind them would be these matte paintings that made it look like they were in the hills
0: of Rome or, You know, uh, well, even just like the the orientation, like this is a matte painting, which is covering part of the camera's frame. And then through that, like through a hole in the painting, you see the actual actors and sets. It's my but he's able to, like, line up the paintings to blend into this landscape. Okay, I found it. The video is called Visual Effects Wizardry on Film. The painter is named Albert Whitlock.
1: Yes, Whitlock,
0: and it it shows a few of his collaborations with Mel Brooks.
1: It is fucking insane. It is so cool how talented that man was, and it just it it really blows your mind when you see how much of his work is in movies you have watched or and and thought like, oh yeah, that's a background. That's a yeah. real background.
0: It's twenty eight minutes long.
1: This video on YouTube. Oh, Definitely so check good. it out. It's so good,
0: Kevin. Anything left to say about *Killers of the Far Moon*?
1: I don't think so. Um, I think we've we've probably said all we can say. It's a good movie. It's a story that should be told.
0: I will say, as part of the the cultural flourishes in this movie, one thing I really liked is there's these a handful of kind of surrealist hallucinations or visions when yeah. someone sees something yes, and the turns owls. out to the owls, and also like at the funeral mm-hmm. uh, when the mother who's dead sees her ancestors. Yeah. And I love how those shots are depicted so matter of factly. Like I feel like a lesser movie might have like made them feel like mystical. Haze. exactly, yeah. or like music cues or something. Yeah. But it's so it is jarring intentionally. There's an owl, and then the next second there's a family in the house. Yep. But it just is about that person's subjective experience. Yeah. And it's just it's, it's just done so well and so simply,
1: very simply, um, which
0: I, I do appreciate. I think uh, those
1: were great we get those simple shots of like the owl and the ancestors and stuff. And then, you know, Lily Gladstone laying in bed when De Niro comes to visit Mm -hmm. and she says, are you real? You know? And there's a moment where she kind of reaches out to touch him and he kind of like leans away, you know? So she's just out of arm's reach and you think, is he really there? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. And then, you know, he grabs her hand, but you still think, is it, is it real? Who knows? I mean, you can't be sure. And it's, I think it's because the other ones are so simple and believable that you're like, you know, could it be? You know, who knows? Um, I liked how how they kind of fed that with the owls and everything. But yeah, nothing else. I'm excited for the wager and I'm going to put all my hopes on that.
0: You're going to put it all on that wager? I'm betting big on it. (laughs) Speaking of wager. Oh, no. Our next episode. Oh yeah! Uh, in theory, we will be recapping the summer movie wager. It will. I thought uh, I owed you something about that, <laughs> bet. and I was like, "What do we bet on about <laughs> this movie?" Until that next episode comes out, which uh, might be next week, might be next year. Can't be sure. You can find the rest of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, want to support the show, leave us a
1: review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That's the best way to support the show, other than.
0: Buying merch at fastfoodfilmfriends.com. You can also find Kevin's hot takes on Instagram. <laughs> Nathan really uh, trying to separate himself from
1: our social medias <laughs> uh, as he does not stand by all of my <laughs> uh,
0: On Instagram at fastfoodfilmfriends. Twitter, which is I think what it's still called. Yeah. At podcast Or email us at fastfoodfilmfriends at gmail.com. Let us know what you want us to... Eat or watch next time. (laughs) Until then. Farewell. Farewell. (laughs) Kevin's out.